Hello? Hello? Hey, can you hear me? Good evening and welcome to First Say Chats by Dr. G. I'm Dr. Adana Grandison, a physician in Barbados and your hostess for this evening. First Say Chats by Dr. G is a live podcast that provides listeners with a unique opportunity to not only hear complicated medical conditions explained, but also clarify any misunderstandings you may have about that condition. After all, a medically aware and educated patient is an empowered patient. And this evening, our episode is entitled, What's Wrong With My Breasts? And our guest this evening is Dr. Alex Doyle. Dr. Alex Doyle is the Chief Resident and Senior Registrar at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in the Department of Surgery. Dr. Doyle uh, currently works under uh, the services of Dr. Bernstein and has been a candidate for the DM program at Cave Hill Campus. Good evening and welcome, Dr. Doyle. How are you doing? Hi, good evening. I'm well. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Dr. Doyle, I thought that this, although we are outside of the Breast Cancer Awareness Month, I thought it was important to continue to emphasize taking care of your breasts. And I know quite often persons tend to get a bit concerned if they know changes of the breast. So I really wanted to start this evening's conversation, first of all, outlining the role of the breast and what is the normal breast and in your breast examination, what we should really be looking for. Okay, uh, thanks for the opportunity again to um, share on this important topic. Like you, you said, we just finished um, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and I think a lot of emphasis has been placed on breast cancer throughout the years. Um, and that really only encompasses one part of the pathology of the breast. There are other um, pathologies that can manifest within the breast. Um, these would be, outside of cancer, benign conditions. Right. So at a basic level, the breast is really a modified sweat gland. Mm -hmm. And it has been modified for us, for humans, really, and in other animals as well, to produce milk. Right. And that is its main function. Of course, as we are human beings, we know that the breast also plays a psychosocial role as well. It Absolutely. has a lot to do with um, the, the way that patients, and particularly women, feel and make them feel feminine. There right. is a sexual role as well. So mm -hmm. outside of just um, producing milk, there are um, other roles that the breast does play within society. Great. And can you take us straight into how one would examine the breast at home? And when is a good time to examine the breast before we go into the different types of breast pathology? Right. So in terms of um, examining the breast, I think one of the terms that you might have um, heard within the last month would have been being breast aware, right? And that basically, at its most basic level, is um, a term meaning you should know how your normal breast feels. Um, a lot of the time, pathology is actually picked up by the patient initially when they are palpating their breast. So if you have a basic knowledge of the normal texture, architecture, and feel of your breast, 
then it is a lot easier for you to actually identify when something may be abnormal. Mm-hmm. Now, it is usually probably better to do this outside of your menses when you're not having the different hormonal changes. But even through menses, and men, for some persons may actually um, complain of breast pain or have difficult compl- di- different complaints related to menses. It's also still a good idea to see how normally their breasts may change throughout um, their menstrual cycle so that they can get a, a normal feel for the breast and know what may be normal and more importantly, what may be abnormal because then that is the majority of the time how patients then are going to present to um, their physician for further evaluation. Right. So I would say both the patient and even sometimes the partner because a lot of the times it is that the partner may actually notice that there is a, a pathology within the breast, something that was not there before. Okay, okay. So what are we looking at? Walk us through from simply even just looking at the breast to start off. Right, right. So when we are looking at the breast, and this can be in the mirror just before you take a shower, even after the shower, we're looking to see whether there's a normal contour of the breast. Um, and you would know growing up, um, meaning the patient may know growing up, if one breast is bigger than the other, because a lot of the times it may be asymmetry in terms of the size of the breast. But if you then see that there's an abnormal contour to the breast, meaning either you may see some dimpling that wasn't present there before, um, or a protrusion coming from the breast that you didn't notice before. That is mm-hmm. something um, that can alert you that there might be some underlying pathology within the breast itself. And then furthermore, specifically looking at the nipple. So if, and it may be a normal variant that some persons may have a nipple that is um, what we call retracted. Um, right. If that has been your normal, then that is normal for you. If however, your nipple has never been retracted, meaning that there's some type of dimpling or distortion to the nipple, and around the nipple itself, the darkened area around the nipple, which we call the nipple areola complex, then that can be an indication as well that there may be some pathology and then you should probably seek some medical attention to identify it. The then further going into feeling the breast itself in terms of the breast, whether there are any abnormal masses or lumps that may arise Now, like I said, um, there's certain persons in certain conditions. um, They may have cyclical changes within the breast itself where they may have some cysts forming throughout um, their menstrual cycle um, that may go up and come down. And being breast aware will help you to recognize whether this is something that is normal for you or abnormal. So if Mm -hmm. you're going to feel a mass, whether it be hard or soft, um, whether it is painful or not, and then if there are any associated changes um, surrounding this mass that you will be feeling, whether it's red, erythematous, if it's painful to touch, and then associated things such as um, discharge from the nipple. Mm-hmm. So um, if this discharge is spontaneous or rather it is evoked, evoked meaning that you have to press the breast for it to actually produce a discharge or whether it's spontaneous, and a lot of the time spontaneous may mean that it's just um, produced or the patient may just notice it actually staying in the, the bra or their clothes if you're not wearing a bra. So right. those are some of the things that you're looking for um, 
when you're, you're trying to be breast aware. Right. So I like the fact that you mentioned, first of all, taking a general look at the breast, not even going into yeah. touching or feeling yet, but actually taking a look at the breast and noting if you've seen any dimpling or any changes, certainly any skin color changes as well, which I think sometimes a lot of persons overlook. I'm glad that you actually mentioned that. And then also about the inversion of the nipple. So if you've noticed that your breast has changed, your nipple, sorry, has changed from being everted to an inverted nipple or retracted nipple, as you called it, then certainly it is a reason for you to have a further examination. And then certainly um, palpating the breast. Um, I, I like the fact that you also commented about using the breast examination not just outside of the time of dementia where sometimes the female or male may not well males don't have a menstrual cycle but the females outside of the menses so that they're not sensitive in the breast um, but certainly even sometimes during the menstrual cycle so that they can appreciate changes if they are noticing that they're having changes during that time um, I wanted to go on to speak about some of the common things that scare women because you you quite nicely stated at the very beginning that the majority of times even if you have felt something in your breast although we have focused over the last month about breast cancer there are other conditions benign conditions so can you walk us through some of those conditions starting from in the very young female and then going all the way through past menopause some of the common ones and then certainly let's talk about male breast sure mm -hmm. no problem um <clears throat> so uh to make a distinction in general terms when we're talking about pathology of the breast we divide them into two broad categories and that would be either benign meaning non-cancerous or malignant and that would be your breast cancer. And then there are different other variants of uh, other malignant, potentially malignant pathology um, within the breast. So I'm going to talk about the benign and try to concentrate more um, for this evening on the benign, the benign category. So one of the most common pathologies that we will see, um, especially coming through the hospital, um, throughout uh, the teenage and then going into your 20s and 30s is a breast abscess. Mm -hmm. uh, that is usually one of the most common reasons that um, persons will actually go and present to their general practitioner. Uh, in this scenario, there is usually a new swelling within the breast, and this is usually going to be associated with the typical signs of inflammation, so you're going to see some redness. You may not necessarily see redness in dark-skinned individuals. Um, there may be some tenderness. And depending on the duration of the symptoms, you may actually see a discharge coming from this mass. And this is usually inflammation or what we colloquially call pus. Right. right? Um, it is normal that this can occur in lactating um, females. So there is a small abrasion that is um, sustained while the infant may be breastfeeding. The skin being one of the barriers to infection is broken. And then you get a bacteria entering through this tear of the skin and causing um, an infection. Right. In this scenario, um, usually uh, the patients will have some type of discharge 
and like I said, the other symptoms and signs that I had um, outlined before. Right. Treatment can range um, from just antibiotics and aspiration. And if that fails, then um, they you may need to show a form of um, incision and drainage. Mm-hmm. And when you say aspiration, exactly what are we talking about? Right. So in the past, a lot of the times we would just go straight to incision and drainage. And that honestly can cause some poor cosmetic results in terms of having scars on the breast just to drain um, some inflammation. So what normally is the practice now and what we're trying to do more and more is that even with or without ultrasound guidance, because you may need ultrasound guidance to try to identify um, specifically where the um, boculation of inflammation or pus is. And then either under ultrasound guidance, you can place a needle within the cavity and withdraw, which is what what we would define as aspirate, Mm -hmm. any of the pus um, that was within within the abscess cavity. We can then send that that for um, testing to see what organism is actually growing so that we can culture and, and give appropriate antibiotics. But a lot of the times, it's going to be your gram-positive organisms um, and simple antibiotic coverage um, that will be available uh, to the general practitioner would be would be something that is usually advised. So your cephalosporins or even a penicillin. Right. Um, specifically for those persons who are um, lactating. Lactating, that's safe for the baby. The, yes. So antibiotics, that is safe for the baby. We do encourage persons to still... Um, lactate during this time period. Um, if, however, the antibiotic choice is that is necessary is not safe for the baby, then you will have to hold on, on breastfeeding during that time period. And there is a spectrum, so I should say that there is mastitis, uh, which can then pro- progress to um, an abscess as well. So mastitis Absolutely. is just simple inflammation without um, abscess formation, while the breast abscess then is something that may need aspiration. So that is one of the more common pathologies that we will see. Right. Um, outside of the lactating female who may then have um, a breast abscess, usually there is some abrasion or some trauma to the area, again, right. which may have caused a break in the skin barrier. And then this leads to a portal of entry for the organism to enter the body and then cause infection. Um, there are some entities where there is no um, known underlying cause, but then these can be associated with things like tobacco smoking. Um, right. It's not. Okay. And then there's the, there also is the other, uh, something that may be more common and that I recognize, nipple piercings. So persons right. that have nipple piercings and then those can get infected as well. Absolutely. Now, now, quite often, a lot of young females will come to the office or when we were, at, when I was at the hospital, would present to clinic and would tell you, Doc, I'm feeling a lump in my breast and it sort of feels as if it's like moving around, but I'm really concerned about it. Um, can you give us some more insight on possibly what something like that can be? Right. So this is one of the other more common um, conditions that we see, and especially in the teenage and those going into their 20s and a little bit more in their 30s. So uh, one of the more common conditions is something called a fibroadenoma. 
Right. Um, some people may call it a breast mouse. Um, so what this condition actually is, is a mass which arises from two of the major elements within the breast itself. Don't need to, don't, no need to get too um, deep into the pathology, but it is a benign condition um, which um, the total etiology is not really understood. They do believe that it has some hormonal components to it because it does, it can on occasion increase in size related right. to um, your menses. So it's usually a benign condition, but patients obviously will present because they're feeling this lump in their breast and they're concerned about it. And throughout all of these different pathologies, that is the one thing that you have to keep in mind as a physician, that when a patient is coming to you with any breast pathology, foremost in their mind, even if they don't mention it, is their consideration, is this breast cancer or not? And that yeah. is one of the things that you have to try to allay their fears. So in terms of a fibroadenoma, that is a benign condition. And usually, um, if there are no symptoms, meaning that there's no pain associated with the lesion itself, if there is no great increase in size um, of the mass itself, and if there is no significant family history of any um, malignant breast disease, these are lesions that can usually be um, monitored. Now you will have the patient that, regardless of how you may try to reassure them, they want the lesion out. It, it's either it affects their psyche, knowing that there's a mass there, or they're just so worried about um, the lesion that they want it out. Right. And outside of the other criteria that I mentioned, Obviously, if a patient wants open up, that, those are some things that can be excised. Um, there is a rule potentially for ultrasound um, examination of these lesions. So ultrasound can look to see whether it is um, around this structure, whether there's any septations within it, whether there's any calcifications within the lesion itself. And it can also help to guide in terms of biopsying um, the lesion. And that is another way that we can try to allay some patients' fears. We actually get in a biopsy of the lesion so that we can show that it is indeed just a fibroadenoma. So, I should mention go ahead. before uh, going on, there mm -hmm. is an entity where we have something called a giant fibroadenoma. So where these lesions can grow to greater than five centimeters, um, that would raise a concern because then your differentials then have to be a lot broader in terms of what you may be thinking is going on within the breast. And there is the potential for a sarcomatous change within the breast and something called a phalloides tumor. Right. It is a very rare lesion, um, but we do see it not so uncommonly um, within patients. And that is the one um, thing that you need to consider when you're seeing patients with a fibroadenoma, because it does develop from the same elements within the breast as a fibroadenoma. Some mm -hmm. people believe that it is a spectrum. Some people believe that it is a mutation. So um, it is not really totally clear um, in terms of the, all the underlying etiologies, but that is one of the other things that we need to consider. So for the most part, however, a fibroadenoma or breast mouse um, is a benign condition that um, has no risk of, of developing into cancer once um, 
these various criteria. Chronic increasing SI is not associated with any um, symptomatology, um, not greater than five centimeters, and then there's no suspicion of phalloides tumor. Great. Now you just mentioned two things: calcifications, microcalcifications, and septations. We're going to get back to that closer to the end because right. this evening I know we want to really focus on be nice stuff but we're going to spend the last few minutes talking about malignant stuff and those are the type of two of the features that we look for if we are concerned that there may be malignancy right, right. um but certainly we will continue uh actually going into some of these other benign um masses or lumps that one may appreciate in the breast um so something not quite often seen but more so in women who have large breasts tell us about fat necrosis, something that we don't often see quite often. What can happen with women that have quite large breasts? Right. So fat necrosis is really um, an entity which develops from some type of injury or trauma to the breast. Right. Um, so a lot of times patients may hit the breast. There may be some type of ill-fitting bra even that can cause the issue. Or even sometimes persons who might have had surgery on the breast. Mm -hmm. and they can then present with fat necrosis. The issue with fat necrosis is that it can um, present in a similar fashion to, as always, breast cancer, because you can have an irregular mass, um, which may not necessarily be tender to palpation. And then this may lead actually for patients to get other imaging investigations done. so they may be imaging studies, so they may be sent for mammography, ultrasonography. Um, usually, a lot of the times, though, um, it is really difficult mm-hmm. to distinguish fat necrosis from malignant lesions um, because the fat necrosis then can look like uh, undefined. Usually, sometimes can be described as speculated dense mass on these imaging studies. And these oh, yeah. are some of the usual terms that we would actually um associate with breast cancer. So really for the um, physician who may be listening or for a patient, the only way that we can really rule it out per se is if we actually get a, a biopsy biopsy of these lesions and send it to the lab to get tested. There, however, is a treatment algorithm potentially. So if it is that the patient's history is not suggestive, um, of breast cancer and there is a history of trauma. Now, there is the caveat that a lot of patients will attribute masses that they feel to, oh, I had hit the breast some time ago and then I felt this lump. And sometimes the trauma can actually be a red herring, meaning that the mass was actually there all along. They just never noticed it. Right. The trauma then led them to actually identifying the lesion itself mm-hmm. so um, observation is an option if there is a clearly defined history of trauma and there isn't no other suspicion but biopsy would be one of the definitive ways that we can actually rule out whether there is any um, lesion within the anything to worry about any malignancy to worry about within the breast okay now quite often persons come and say doc my breasts feel very lumpy right. and they feel very dense. What are they referring to? What, what is that? Right. So 
there is an entity known as non-proliferative um, diseases of the breast. Um, mm. And within that, there may be some type of cystic disease that actually may be occurring within the breast, right? So cysts are relatively um, common presentation um, for patients coming to any breast clinic or any surgical clinic. And mm -hmm. obviously, as I said earlier, it is a concern as to whether they are, um, whether there is cancer present or not. Majority of the time, uh, to be perfectly frank, cystic disease of the breast is usually a benign entity in the majority of patients. So usually you would see this occurring in about the 30-year to 50-year age group. Okay. And the majority of the time, it is usually a benign condition. So the usual approach, as with anything for a patient who... Um, may be coming in a complaint of lumpy breast, as you suspect that it may be actually cysts that are within the breast, would be one, obviously, to take a history and examination. And if it is that a patient is who is identifying this, because there may be a varied audience that is listening, they should obviously seek medical attention um, if they do feel something that is abnormal, some abnormal lumps within the breast. Um, even if it is that they believe that it is a normal variant for them, or that right. may be their norm. You should still seek um, some type of medical intervention, even if it is just for reassurance. So simple cysts, like we would say, and simple cysts from a medical standpoint, meaning that there are no septations or no divisions within the cyst itself, and there are no solid components within the cyst, those are usually benign. And you're usually going to be able to detect those on ultrasound, and right. evaluation of the breast, right? The things that would be concerning for somebody who has cystic disease is whether there may be a bloody discharge associated with the cyst. And if on the imaging, if there are septations within the, the cyst itself, whether there is um, associated solid component. So even if persons aspirate, the cyst, and then there's a solid component that is left, these are patients that you should probably um, investigate further, whether it may be with a biopsy um, of, the, of the solid component that is left. A lot of the times, persons may consider doing cytology and sending the fluid if there is an associated discharge coming from the, the breast, but a lot of the times that is not really helpful in trying to determine what may actually be happening within the breast. Um, there are some other lesions or other conditions within the breast that can, um, as you had outlined, give patients a lumpy feel, as you have put it, to the, to the breast. And these then may um, be, go on to be your proliferative disorders of the breast. So you may have some um, proliferation of some of the elements within the breast, either within the, around the nipple areola complex or within the actual um, breast itself. So there may be a, some conditions which may be hyperplasia, which is just increasing size of the um, increasing size in the number, sorry, of the 
breast units. Right. And this may be either atypical or typical. Right. Um, the issue that would be more concerning is when you have atypical um, hyperplasia within the breast itself, right? Okay. Um, whether this may be either from the ductal or the labial units, but that may be getting a little bit too far down into the weeds. Well, well, well I'm going to pause you right here now because I see that we have a question that is sort of oh, asking, okay. um, going along that line, is a type of breast tissue more prone to breast cancer than other types of breast tissues? Okay, so there are different elements within um, the breast, and you can have, there's a lobular unit, there's a ductal unit. Uh, in general, there's epithelial lining of these, these different units, and this is where um, breast cancer, as we uh, know it, will actually um, arise from. Right. And... Um, so from either of these, once it's epithelial tissue, you can get breast cancer arising. So there, on a broad sense, there are two types of um, breast cancer. So you can have ductal carcinoma and lobular, and lobular carcinoma, just in general terms. There are different break, histologic breakdowns that break down as well. All right. Um, there are other conditions in the breast that are not breast cancer as we would describe it as arising from the epithelial elements within the breast. But like I had described earlier, the phalloides tumor, which are fibroepithelial tumors, meaning that they can arise from both the stroma and the epithelial elements within. So the connective tissue um, within, the, within the breast itself. Right. So essentially, so like the more answer, the, support, the more of the support mechanism within the, the support breast. mechanism within right. the breast. So breast cancer can arise in any in, in these major tissues. Um, if that answers the question. Yes, I think it does. Maybe we can get some feedback from that listener. Uh, I have another question here. Good evening. If the breast is usually fibrous, but the left breast saw a mass at the mammogram and had to get an ultrasound and the ultrasound showed cysts in both breasts. However, the right breast showed an abnormality. The doctor suggested waiting for a period on, to re-ultrasound the breast. Should I wait or should I get a biopsy for that breast, although it didn't show anything on mammogram? All right, so there are a couple issues there to um, parse out. So as with anything, and this is with all medicine, we usually take a detailed history and a clinical examination. So just based on the information that is presented, it would be difficult to, to give a definitive answer, but I'll just try to work through some of the things that were outlined and just highlight some of the problems or some of the thinking um, going behind the different management options. So obviously, if this is a person who has a significant family history of breast cancer, that puts you at a uh, increased risk category, depending on who it is in your family that might have had breast cancer. So if right. it is a first degree relative, a mother or sister um, who might have had breast cancer, then that is somebody that we're going to be looking closer to try to pick up on something in the early phases. Um, it said that there was 
the breasts are usually fibrous, so it then depends on if there is a known um, underlying condition within the breast. And this is where the breast awareness comes into play and whether they might have sought uh, medical attention before for this fibrous nature of the breast so that the clinician who is seeing them actually also has an idea as to what um, their breasts would normally feel like. So that plays a role um, as well in, in the evaluation. Now, anybody that has a mass, and we would have gone through some of the different differentials that we have for a mass, but in general for us, and the person didn't say their age or anything like that, if someone presents with a mass in the breast, the usual step that we would take would be to biopsy the mass. There are different caveats and stuff like that that go with that, but the usual practice would be to biopsy a mass, and especially a new mass that is identified. The imaging that is done afterwards are just adjuncts to that. But for us, from a surgical standpoint, for us, a lot of the times to make a diagnosis, what we want to do is to get tissue to the lab, look under the microscope, and help us to identify what may be the underlying pathology. Right. Now, like I said, there are caveats to that. If it is a younger person, the risk of breast cancer is low. If clinically you think there may be something like a breast mouse, then that may not necessarily be, that may not be necessary. But in general, that is the what we would like to do first. Um, a lot of the times though, patients may actually present to the clinic with a mammogram um, already done. And again, there are different caveats to that. Because if you're having a mammogram done, and persons would normally do a mammogram as because they think it is part of screening. But technically, if you already have a pathology within the breast, that is not a screening mammography because you're then trying to identify whether there is any pathology. Well, you know that there's a pathology, but you're trying to help the imaging to define whether one, what the pathology may be and if there are any other abnormalities within the breast itself. <clears throat> um, and mammography has some of its benefits and drawbacks, and it also depends on the age of this patient. Like I said, that is not stated. So depending on the density of the breast, mammography may not be the best investigation to investigate the breast mass. <clears throat> For younger persons, um, ultrasound may actually be the investigation of choice because of the density of the breast tissue itself. Mammography may not be able to penetrate through the breast so that you can may not be able to identify certain pathologies. So ultrasound may be one of the actual better modalities to use in the younger population. And also it could be quite painful. <coughs> painful as well. Um, that's one, I think, one of the major complaints that patients have in terms of having mammography done um, because there has to be some compression applied to the breast and that can be very, very uncomfortable. Great. Now, another part of the evaluation um, would be that once either of these imaging investigations are done, the radiologist then makes an assessment of the lesion that is seen and based on 
certain descriptions or what they see under the imaging, they then use a grading system, which we call BIRADS, to then give a grading of the pathology that they identify. And this pathology ranges from no diagnostic abnormality to malignant disease, right? And it may be based on those recommendations that the patient was actually told that they should have imaging repeated um, within six months. Uh, it sounds like that may actually be, be what is happening there for, for this person. Okay. I wanted to go on because you mentioned a little earlier about um, discharge, co different colors of discharges coming from the breast. And you spoke about a bloody discharge, which brings me to ductectasia, which right. is more, um, we tend to see more the female who has gone through menopause or is, is around, is perimenopausal, as we would call it, or around the time of menopause. Can you tell us a bit more about that and why it happens, really? Right. So, ductectasia, um, it usually affects the ducts around the, what we call the nipple areola complex. So, the nipple and the surrounding tissue um, right. around the nipple itself. Right. Um, right. And it can, it's usually a non-specific deviation of one or more of these ducts. And it's usually about two millimeters um, in diameter, but that's not anything too significant. Basically, it's just dilation of the ducts underneath the nipple areola complex. And then this um, can lead to um, discharge, as, was, um, as you described. So the duct is usually filled with fluid or cellular debris, um, and then sometimes this can even have calcifications, which can then show up on some imaging, some imaging studies, right? Right. Um, and it's usually associated with some type of periductal inflammation, some inflammatory process. So is it really um, something for the patient to be overly concerned about, um, especially if they're seeing this sort of rusty color? or a bloody discharge coming from the breast? So a lot of the times, no. Um, right. It is a usually um, a benign process. Um, there is, as with anything, there's a small percentage that may have some um, malignant disease. Right. But that is something then that you would need to see a medical practitioner for. So if there's an associated mass that you may see within the um, lump itself, um, then that may be something that might need further evaluation. But in general, and for all of the different um, conditions that can actually cause nipple discharge, nipple discharge is not one of the more common um, presentations of breast, can breast cancer. So I some patients here. It's not usually one of the more common presentations of breast cancer. Okay, I want to switch gears here a bit. You earlier mentioned the importance of a family history. And I think it's really important that we really move away from getting to know, or rather move away from not knowing about our family's history to really having these discussions within our families about pathologies that your family may have had or your family currently has so that right. you can actually um, help yourself potentially in looking out 
for that pathology down the road. If there is um, a hereditary a link in terms of your the, the actual person presenting at a later date. So I wanted to go into some of those genes that we often hear about uh, being counted around in the, in the news. Um, like for instance, the BRCA1 and BRCA2 genes. Um, we have seen persons, celebrities, even like Angelina Jolie, um, who went as far as to have a double mastectomy as a result of um, the fact that she actually had positivity for such. So let's talk about that. Tell us about the, these genes. Right. So as you would have said, uh, some of these things are now coming into light more because um, there is a lot more research um, going into breast cancer, and I think breast cancer is one of the most highly studied cancers that we have out there. So one of the um, genes that has been identified as an increased risk factor for persons to contract breast cancer is the BRCA1 and the BRCA2 um, gene. So it can become a bit confusing for patients when they hear about these different conditions and want to know, well, do I have it? Should I get tested? And um, it can cause some anxiety right. among persons um, when they actually think and sit and think about, about these conditions. So in terms of the genetics of breast cancer, it is really a subset of patients who will get breast cancer who are at increased risk of getting breast cancer that would have the BRCA1 and BRCA2 um, genes, right? Mm -hmm. So there are some things that we would use or clinicians, geneticists would use to try to identify persons who may be at um, increased risk of having um, these inherited genes. And some of the things that we look at is so early age of onset of breast cancer, whether there is an increased prevalence of um, bilateral breast cancer within the family. Uh, there's an association with ovarian cancer as well. Right. And also for those persons who may actually have male breast cancer and um, those persons who may have tri triple negative disease. We haven't gone into breast cancers yet, but triple negative disease um, refers to um, those breast cancers. So breast cancers may have some hormonal component to them. And there are three hormones that we usually um, test for any breast cancer. There is the estrogen receptor, progesterone receptor, and the HER2 neuroreceptor. And if you do not express any of these receptors, that is what is deemed as triple negative breast cancer. So for those persons um, who are worried about um, whether they may have um, a BRCA gene within their family, these are some of the things we look to try to weed out because it is not everybody in the general population that is actually going to be carrying these genes. So there are other um, malignancies that are associated with, with these genes. So I spoke about ovarian cancer. So specifically for BRCA1, other associated cancers that may arise 
are, um, like I said, ovarian and fallopian tube cancers, and then also primary peritoneal malignancies. So cancers of the lining of the abdominal cavity on the inside. And then in terms of the BRCA2 gene, you would have other cancers such as cancers of the pancreas, melanomas, which is a type of skin cancer, and then also prostate cancer. So from the breakdown that I would have discussed, and from jumping off from what you said in terms of patients knowing their family history, because sometimes it can be very frustrating when you ask and you're taking a history and you're asking the patient if anybody else in their family has a history of cancer, they will tell you, yes, I think my dad had um, some type of cancer, but what did he have? I'm not sure. So that then really hampers um, our risk stratification right. when we're trying to identify those patients that might be at an increased, um, increased risk. So there is prostate cancer that can be an issue. There can be, like I said, peritoneal, pancreatic, even some. There is even an entity where you can have gastric cancer associated with um, increased risk of breast cancer as well. Right. So that is a general overview of how we look at um, BRCA1 and BRCA2 to try to determine who actually may be at increased risk of, of, of having these genes. And I'm very glad that you actually mentioned that it is important to know the type of cancer if a family member does have it, um, because there's, yeah. there's also been a um, well-documented incidence of there being a link between breast cancer and thyroid cancer. Uh, and yeah. certainly it, it, it's not just confined to, and it's an easy and okay to say, well, I think a family member had cancer full stop, not sure which one it is, but really it's important to have that conversation with your family members to actually know what type of cancer it was. And, and so that we can screen you early earlier yeah. and, and potentially prevent a, a negative outcome because we can detect it a lot earlier in its presentation. Um, so because we have approximately 15 minutes left in our show, I want to now go into talk, talking about breast cancer proper and also, as I truly promised the males um, that are in the, the group, um, about the importance of why men should actually evaluate their breasts. Let's start with why men should evaluate their breasts and then speak about breast cancer. Right. So it may not be a well-known fact, but it should be that men are susceptible to getting breast cancer as well. Mind you, it is not common, but it is something that can occur. And because it is not something that is actually thought of, some persons may present at a later stage um, than um, a female who may actually be considering, consider that they actually are susceptible to this, to this type of condition. So it's for two reasons. One, that they will present later because they're not thinking about it. And two, like I said, that is actually one of the risk factors that we look at in trying to determine whether persons may actually have one of these um, inherited genetic um, risk factors or genes that predispose you to having um, breast cancer. So as with um, females, there are um, there is a risk of breast cancer in males. Males will normally though present for 
um, tool surgical clinic with complaints of gynecomastia, which is just um, enlargement of the breast. And this can be either due to, this is either bilateral or unilateral. Um, it may be due to different hormonal factors, it may be due to medications that they're taking. Um, so it does, and it can cause some anxiety among men. But breast cancer will be the major thing that we would need men to consider when they are actually um, when they're actually presenting with any pathology within the breast itself. Right. So there's less breast tissue generally for men, and it may actually be more striking for you to see um, changes within the breast sooner potentially if you're actually looking um, at the at the breast or the chest wall. Great. Um, in terms of breast cancer now, what mm -hmm. are, you mentioned two of the things that, that we as doctors really look out for on imaging. But what are some of those concerning things? And I just want you to go over, because I see a question here in the chat, could an inverted nipple lead to any problems with cancer? And, and I think you already mentioned, so just for the benefit of the listeners, just talk mm -hmm. about those things when we actually do an examination that would cause us to raise a red flag. Causes, or right. we Causes need to for concern. Absolutely. We need to investigate this a bit further. Right. So firstly, whether there is any new mass that is palpable within the breast. Right? If there is any change within the contour of the breast, so if there is any dimpling of the skin, if there is any retraction of the nipple, any change that is um, abnormal within the, the contour of the breast is something that will raise, raise an alarm. Um, breast pain, which patients, a lot of patients can actually pre present with, is not something that's usually associated with breast cancer unless it is really at an advanced stage. Um, so it's really a mass or changes within this, the contour of the breast. There is an entity, um, and we had spoken about breast abscesses um, at the beginning of our talk. There is an entity called inflammatory breast cancer, right. which can mimic a breast abscess. Um, so this is one of the things that you need to consider when you're actually seeing somebody who may not be lactating, and who presents with um, some inflammatory condition of the breast, which you suspect may be an abscess, but either on imaging or with antibiotic coverage does not necessarily resolve or improve, then you need to, to consider whether this may actually be an inflammatory breast cancer. And biopsy in that scenario would be something that, that would help to make the diagnosis. So those are some of the major things that we take into account. And this goes, as I say, hand in hand with um, your clinical history. So your history that you take and whether you think that they are at higher risk for developing breast cancer based on history of any clinical examination. Also then, if there are any other swellings outside of the breast. So typically the breast, and how we will look at it generally is that breast cancer will start within the elements within the breast and then it can spread to other parts of the body. So sometimes you may get swelling into the what we call the armpit. Um, Bajans may say that they may feel 
um, wax and kernel, which is what we would call the medical fraternity, we call a lymph node within the armpit as well, or even if sometimes they may actually move and go to um, some lymph nodes within the neck as well. Okay. So that is something um, that we would look out for. Okay, I'm very glad that you actually mentioned that little piece because quite often on examination, a lot of persons forget to examine not just the breast proper, but also extend and go up into the armpit um, to make sure that we are not missing the tail of the breast right. and certainly those lymph nodes. Um, yeah, so, so you have spoken about what would cause us to, to probe a bit deeper. You did mention that for younger females, yes, we would examine that female primarily, investigate her, sorry, primarily with ultrasound. And because generally the breast is a lot denser. And then for someone who is perimenopausal or postmenopausal, we generally tend to go for mammogram. But really what is the workup for that patient after that ultrasound or mammogram with something that is suspicious of cancer? Right. So um, the workup involves, and I said, this is one of the more paramount things for us. Um, from a surgical standpoint, is a biopsy of these lesions. Um, so if there is a mass that is actually palpable, biopsy is the number one thing that we actually would prefer to do. The right. other investigations in terms of the ultrasound and the mammography, those are adjuncts, but biopsying of the mass is the major thing because we want to get that tissue under the microscope to look at it and to see what we're actually dealing with. That can help us a lot. So a lot of the times you will have um, general practitioners who may actually call and say, well, we have a patient here with a mass that we've been seeing for a few months and we want to, we were trying to get them a mammography or we're trying to get them an ultrasound, but the wait is too long. Um, do you think we can speed up? the process and stuff like that in general we would want to see those patients from the time you actually feel a mass refer even if it's just a discussion with the surgeon you should refer those patients so that we can then make a determination as in terms of their risk and then get a biopsy so that we can send it to the lab get it tested and then we can go from there because once you have that tissue and you have a diagnosis then you know know where you're going one way or the other. There is the other side that the biopsy, depending on the size of the lesion and how well the biopsy was done, may not necessarily be representative of the mass that is there. And then depending on the clinical scenario, that may then bring us to the I'm losing you there, uh, Dr. Doyle. You just sounded really, really far. Oh, sorry. Can you hear me better now? Yes, please. All right, so, okay. So I was saying that... Um, in terms of the biopsy, it may not always be representative. Right. And in certain scenarios, instead of just taking a little piece of the tissue, if we need more information and our clinical suspicion is high, we may actually have to do a full excision of the lesion, depending on the size, or take a bigger tissue um, in the operating theater so that we can get a definitive diagnosis. Right. So for me, the ultrasound and the mammography are adjuncts in the workup, but... Um, once you feel a mass within the breast that is new and abnormal, then you should refer those patients to the surgeon. And get that biopsy done. 
and get the biopsy done. And it's important that you do that early because if we can catch it early, breast cancer can be cured, depending upon the type it is, yes? And right. the stage yeah. that we get it at. And the stage that we get it at, right. Right. So it's quite important not to delay to have your work. And it's not a matter of trying to send panic through everyone who may have a mask now to turn up at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital <laughs> right. to be biopsied. But certainly to, to not sit back and wait and say, well, I'll wait and see if in six months it's still there. And then um, you have some sort of advanced pathology. But certainly at least have some medical practitioner look at it and then advise you appropriately. Because um, it's really based on your risk that we make our, our, our determination. Absolutely. And quickly, when you spoke about the speculations and the calcifications, and I know that probably persons are now glued trying to say, what, what, what is this about speculation and, class and calcifications? Can you please explain those here quickly to us before we have to wrap up? Right. So those are some descriptions of lesions that you may actually see on different types of images, mostly mammography. Right. Um, there is the entity of breast MRI, but I don't think that is available here on the island. Um, I don't know if things might have changed recently, but I don't think it's available on the island. But in terms of speculation, so that's just like a star-like appearance of a mass on the imaging that may more be associated with um, malignant conditions. And then there are calcifications that may actually show up on imaging. And there can be a variety of different causes of calcifications. And uh, this can then just lead to persons requiring further investigation in terms of a biopsy of these lesions. This is not really something that the general public, because you can uh, imagine that persons may get a bit worried and start reading Absolutely. Uh, you know, the mammography reports and stuff like that, looking for these different terms. This is something that the radiologist who is trained um, to look at these investigations these are some of the things and some of the characteristics that they look at on the imaging to try to determine whether a lesion is malignant, meaning cancerous, or benign, not, not cancerous. So it's nothing that patients in general need to worry about too much, and it's just something for the radiologists and then the surgeons and general practitioners look at to try to determine their risk of, of having a malignant condition. In terms of trying to work up that patient appropriately. Work up the patient, yes. Great. Excellent. So in our last two minutes, Dr. Doyle, you did a fabulous job of taking us through breast pathology on a whole, both benign and malignant, both in male and female. Um, are there any take-home points you want to leave with us this evening? Um, my major take-home point is uh, don't be afraid to seek okay. medical conditions, uh, to seek medical um, attention. Right. Um, one of the more heartbreaking things is when patients present with advanced disease, especially of the breast, because they were afraid of the diagnosis. Or sometimes um, embarrassed. Saw, or embarrassed. Um, I think uh, we're here to help. Breast cancer is one of the more treatable if not even curable conditions that we have out there, depending on the stage uh, which it is caught. That along with colon cancer, I think, is um, one of the other things that we should put an emphasis on in terms of um, screening and prevention. Absolutely. Uh, and there are a myriad 
of modalities that we can use to treat breast cancer. So just having a diagnosis of breast cancer is not a death sentence. There are persons that have been cured and there are persons that are living fruitful lives after having been treated for breast cancer. So my take home message would be, don't be afraid, seek medical attention. We are here to help and there are many options available. Um, is there anything, any particular time they should start screening even if they don't have any signs? So in general, if you have a regular risk, not an increased risk, you right. would say about 40, you should start um, screening. But in general, as we were had started our conversation, you should be breast aware. Good. Excellent. Start from the time you start to develop breasts so that you know your breasts. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much. Dr. Doyle for coming out this evening and really no uh, taking off a lot of the the misconceptions and misunderstandings that persons have around breast pathology. And, and I want to say thanks also to our listeners who came out this evening and asked their various questions. Once again, I encourage you to join us and follow us on both Podbean and Anchor. Until next week on First Aid Chats by Dr. G. Closing the gap. Good evening, Dr. Doyle. All right. Good evening. Thank you. Mm-hmm.